0: This morning we're going to be talking about integrity. Integrity is something we all value at different levels. We want the medicine in the bottle to match the label. We want the interstate overpass not to fall on our heads. We want the airbag to deploy. We want child care to be safe. We want the salesperson to be honest. And the list could go on and on and on. We value integrity. And in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle of Jesus, whose name is Paul, defends his integrity as an Apostle of Jesus. And so we're studying 2 Corinthians. If you have a Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 1, where the Apostle Paul is engaged in some ways in the battle of his life to defend his integrity. It's kind of interesting to think about uh, because the Apostle Paul is the same one who calls himself chief of sinners elsewhere. So he's not claiming to be perfect. Um, In fact, on other occasions, he'll put himself at the front of the line, seeing himself as not meeting God's standards. But when it comes to him defending himself, he's not defending himself in all of his life, that he's always done everything right, and he should be the fourth person of the Godhead, or anything like that. This isn't Paul worship. But what he's doing is he's defending himself with both guns blazing, because he's defending the legitimacy of his message, the truth about Jesus Christ. What has happened is there are these fake apostles, these fake leaders, and they've infiltrated the church at Corinth in the first century, and they are, are beginning to win people over. And these fake apostles are discounting the Apostle Paul as illegitimate, therefore his message is illegitimate, therefore the Christ he proclaims is illegitimate, you need to look somewhere else for being accepted with God, somewhere else for reconciliation with God, and the Apostle Paul will have none of it. So he digs his heels in, defending himself, but really he's defending his message, because if they can discount him, they can discount his message. So it becomes very important. Uh, I won't lie to you, 2 Corinthians uh, by Bible scholars, New Testament scholars, is considered um, perhaps the most difficult uh, book in the Bible because of of so much of this going on, this back and forth and what's going on nuance-wise. So I've waited 20 years, but I think I might die and go to heaven soon, so I've got to preach through 2 Corinthians. Um, It's complicated and yet it's really personal but it's not personal to the point where he's just trying to defend himself to defend himself. It's because if we don't have the true gospel, we don't have hope. So what we'll do this morning is, uh, it's one big section. We won't cover it all this morning, um, lest no mother like me um, on Mother's Day. So chapter 1, verses 12, it goes all the way down to chapter 2, verse 11, but we won't go that far. Um, There are four sections. We'll cover two of them, Lord willing. So let's go ahead and read... Chapter 1, verses 12, through the end of the chapter, and then we'll stop there and, and dig in a little bit. It says in chapter 1, verse 12, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other Then what you read and understand, read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was so sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Did I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son, for, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in Him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. We're going to stop right there, and we're going to look at the first two sections that we just read. Um, my outline, if outlines help you, I'm following um, four important matters, and we're going to cover two important matters. Okay? So... Two important matters that that are surfaced um, from Paul defending his integrity. So as he defends himself and his integrity, there are some important matters that get addressed. He uses it as an opportunity to talk about the gospel, uh, to talk about genuineness and authenticity. And the first one is this. It's an opportunity to promote the seriousness of the issue at hand. The first thing that he does as he defends his integrity is he stresses the serious nature of what goes on. This is in 12, 13, and 14. And I'll preview it for you just so you see where I'm going. In 14, he's going to talk about judgment. That we're all going to stand before the Lord Jesus one day. That's how serious this matter is. So he's doing what he's doing because he knows he's going to stand before God one day and he knows they're going to stand before God one day. And so this is not this trifling kind of debate. In light of that day coming, let me talk to you about serious business. If you're misled to believing another Jesus, another gospel through another apostle, it's not going to end well. Okay, it's one of those kind of moments. Serious business. Uh, Just by way of reminder too, the word apostle means one who is sent with the authority of the sender. So everywhere in the New Testament where it's Peter, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, or or whoever it might be, um, we we don't put a lot of weight on that word, but it's a a weighty word. It's a a more weighty word than messenger, okay? Okay. Um, uh, angels are messengers. Sometimes humans are called messengers. It's it's good to be a messenger, but not only are apostles messengers, they come and they actually carry the authority of the one they're representing. Okay, So it's a big deal for someone to be a true apostle. As I've said before, if I wanted to lead a cult, I would claim to be an apostle. Okay, I mean, that, that's dropping the big trump card. Okay, I, I would tell you that God tells me things, and I would claim to be an apostle, and you would need to do what I said, quite honestly. So this business about is Paul true or not, or these other, call, they call themselves super apostles later in 2 Corinthians. Or are these super apostles to be followed? Okay, that's a big deal at stake. So as as we look at the seriousness of the issue, if you look there again with me at verse 12, uh, he's going to begin ramping it up. For our boast, our Uh, let's explain that as our justifiable confidence, okay? Our our confidence, and, and as we look at the whole thing, our justifiable, defendable confidence, our boast. If you boast in something and it's not an empty boast, it's because there's substance there, okay? It's justifiable confidence. The Apostle Paul says, our boast, our justifiable confidence is this, the testimony of our conscience. I don't want to preach a, a whole sermon on conscience, but just to think for a moment about conscience. Conscience is something everyone has. Uh, the Bible teaches that everyone has a conscience. Christians have a conscience. Non-Christians have a conscience. It's it's this internal alarm system, if you will, this internal Undescribable, immeasurable thing that you can't test in a lab, but it's, it's what's inside you that tells you something's right or wrong. It's your conscience. And the Bible talks about people going against their conscience, and that's not a good idea. Um, some, and and there, Some people, when they go against what they think is right and they go against it enough times, their conscience becomes seared. They're no longer sensitive to it. No longer is the alarm going off saying it's wrong because they've been doing it for so long. So you can violate your conscience so much so that you don't hear the alarm anymore. Okay? There's something in everyone that has a sense of right and wrong. Further sinning can silence it. In the Bible, we, talk, we, we learn about things like your conscience, as a Christian, you should pay attention to your conscience. Uh, But you want your conscience to be biblically informed. And you want it to become more and more biblically informed because then your conscience actually is, 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 well, biblically informed. (laughs) Okay? What the Apostle Paul is going to do here is, he's arguing that what he received from Jesus, what he heard from Jesus, what he knows about Jesus, the historical realities about Jesus, the teachings of Jesus and about Jesus, he's saying those things... Match what I've been teaching. Okay, I have not. My conscience is clear. What I received, I've been giving. Okay, I didn't put a new put put a new spin on it. I, I didn't water it down and make it more palatable. I didn't ramp it up and make it harder. I didn't do that. I I have a justifiably clear confidence because my conscience. What Jesus told me, I told you. What I know to be true about Jesus is what I've been saying. That's where he's going to begin with. He has a clear conscience. He's not saying, I have a clear conscience because I feel that this is true. No, based upon objective teaching from Jesus, I've been saying the same thing. There hasn't been a trickery kind of thing. I, I, I haven't swapped them to make it different. I'm legitimate. It's to be trusted. I'm echoing, if you will, What I received. Verse 12 goes on to say that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity. And I'm going to read that in light of, I'm not not going to isolate that, I'm going to keep it in the context of defending the truth about Jesus, defending the gospel. We've been giving you the simple truth about Jesus we've been giving you the simple gospel we haven't tried to doctor it up we haven't tried to water it down I've just been giving you it straight up straightforward simplicity godly sincerity we, we haven't tried to dilute it we haven't tried to make it more sellable not by earthly wisdom like natural religion think Corinth Corinth has got all of these gods and goddesses and, and, and all of these things that natural religion would give and he says not by earthly wisdom I could have made the gospel way, way, way more sellable to Corinthians. Because they've already got a taste for multiple deities. They've already got a taste for sensuality. They've already got a taste for all of these things. I didn't do that. Not according to earthly wisdom. My, My gospel is contrary to earthly wisdom. God doesn't help those who help themselves. That would be earthly wisdom. Just do more, try harder. Jesus is just one of the many gods of the pantheon of gods or something like that or he was a mere human being or whatever it might be. That would be earthly wisdom. No, he's extraordinary. He's exceptional. He had to come from the outside to rescue us, to deliver us. In chapter 5, he's going to talk about we have to have righteousness gifted to us. We need a substitute to do this for us. That's counterintuitive when it comes to natural religion, natural philosophy. He says, No, I just gave you the simple thing. The simple thing I knew knew would even maybe be offensive. I'm thinking in my mind to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Apostle Paul knew full well when he came to Corinth. You know, if he rode his horse into Corinth uh, and, and, and he had a satchel, I'm not saying he did, but you get the idea. He only had one thing in his bag. And it wasn't somehow to appeal to what they would want. It was, I'm going to tell you the truth about Jesus. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. He didn't say that either, but you get the idea. We, we resolved, he says in First Corinthians, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay? Focused. Simplicity. Not according to earthly wisdom. He didn't do a survey to find out why people aren't going to church so that they could somehow uh, uh, cater the the, the, the church to, to draw more people. I didn't do that. And remember in 2 Corinthians when we preview this, one issue is that, that they're the super apostles are accusing Paul of failure because he, he doesn't have enough success. He's saying, I have a clear conscience. I'm giving it to you straight up. It's not modified. It's not tweaked. It's in its... Original condition, if you will. Not by earthly wisdom. Well, notice there it goes on to say, but by the grace of God. The genuine article, maybe even using that as shorthand for the gospel of God, the good news of God. It comes to us freely, graciously, but it does come from none other than God. And supremely toward you. Maybe even using the verbiage of a false teacher. Talking about supremacy, super apostles, we're great, and he's saying, "I gave you that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so." Little kid story, supremely. Maybe even using some of their verbiage. That's where the power is. Thirteen says, "For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand." And I hope you will fully understand, or read and understand, but that doesn't make sense because then it would be understood. And I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us. See what he's doing there? You have this sense of, he has a level of confidence, probably because many of them are coming around. But there's definitely still danger. What I'm telling you now is what I told you when you got converted. Converted. And, and you understood. Well, at least you seem to understand, at least in part, the ideas, but, but you're listening to these super apostles who are telling you something else. Whether it's righteousness from in or what you can accomplish or discounting Jesus or elevating humanity. I, I thought you get it, got it. And, and we haven't changed. Then you know what for, for just a break before we read the, the end part there maybe you could turn to chapter 11 verse 4 I've been giving you a lot of information assuming you're going to take my word for it which is semi-dangerous but the the, the verbiage of chapter 1 verse 14 this um, understanding receiving is similar to Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 4 11 forces for if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted you put up with it readily enough. He's going back to the touchstone, the simple, basic truth about Jesus and his substitutionary life, death, and resurrection. And you guys are just all about, oh, we like hearing the new spin, the new thing. And they discount Paul. Well, maybe he's wrong. He's it's like, listen, he's he's definitely on them about this. And in, back in chapter one, it's you know, you you understood seemingly so, but now I'm kind of wondering then if we go back to chapter 1, verse 14, toward the end there, as he's concerned about their drift, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, this is what he wants to have happen, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, that's judgment kind of talk, that that it's elevating Jesus as well. The day of God's judgment, well, guess who's there? The Lord Jesus, you will boast of us. That's what he wants to have happen. You will boast of us with a view toward that day I hope on that day you have justifiable confidence in the true apostles because that means you're still holding to the true gospel the true Jesus so I'm looking forward to that day and I hope you're on that day I hope you're boasting in us justifiable confidence in us because we are giving you Jesus and then likewise as we will boast of you I hope that's true too on that day of judgment that we'll have justifiable confidence in you. In other words, that you didn't drift, that you came back, that you turned a deaf ear to the so-called super apostles and you saw them for the fakers that they really are. It's a serious matter. That's what that's what I wanted to make sure we emphasize. For him to defend his apostleship is him defending the true gospel, serious matter. It's not okay, it's not innocent to drift from the apostolic teaching. It's the teaching of Jesus. How does this how does this relate to us today? Well, I think maybe in the next point we can get into more of that, but it's amazing how many people claim to have new revelation from God. Nobody's ever heard this before, but I'm here to tell you. And lots of God talk, Bible verses used. But when you put, hold it up to the Bible, what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is and what He's done, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, etc., the uniqueness of Jesus, what He's accomplished... It's amazing how much deviation there is. Because we've drifted away from Jesus when we drift away from his apostles. I know people who say, I like Jesus, I just don't like Paul. Well, if he's truly an apostle, that's, that's, that's a contradiction. It doesn't actually work. If he can be discounted here in Corinth the whole apple cart is dumped over. So historic, biblical Christianity is tied to these basic realities. So Paul is, that's why I say in the fight of his life, not for himself, but ultimately for them, he's viewing that future day. He cares, he's going to stress that in here. That's why we want to be committed to the, as Jude says, the once, literally if you translate it, the once and for all delivered to the saints faith. Translations would say the faith that has once and for all been delivered to the saints. There's a, there's a finality to it. And that's what makes it lasting. It's not constantly changing. It's not constantly morphing the eternal god who made the human race who made the world who sent his son has a ultimate great plan and it doesn't change the once and for all delivered to the saints faith sometimes when people say so what's what's new at omaha bible church what are you guys going to do next what's on the horizon and i feel dumb cuz i'm like well i think we're probably going to be in second corinthians chapter 2 next week uh <laughs> I think we're going to try to get better at doing the basic things you're supposed to do. Um, I I certainly have things in my life that I would like to do better or be more faithful in. Um, There are other uh, different opportunities we could have, whether they be evangelistic or... There there are lots of things we can do. We don't want to be coasting or backward. But fundamentally, we're not looking to do the next big thing. Um, One way to assure irrelevance, in my opinion, is to chase relevance. The way we're going to be relevant is if we continue to proclaim nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. It's kind of the Apostle Paul's shtick. Um, hope you're with me. Let's move on. Let's go to the, the next important matter related to a defense of integrity. And that's the sufficiency of Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. In verses 15 to 24, he takes this opportunity and just does a masterful... This is why you came today, by the way. You might not know it yet, but you, you, you maybe should pay double at the door for this. Okay? He's going to say some things in here. He's defending himself, and what does he do? He's attacked. He, he twists it and gives it as an opportunity to see how great Christ is. Okay? It's really fantastic what he does here. Verse 15, look there with me if you would. Because I was sure of this. confident. He, he's looking back to verse 14. Confident that he wanted judgment day to end well for them. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of Grace. In other words, another occasion to hear us tell the truth about Jesus. Maybe from a different angle, maybe in more depth in a certain way, but but another opportunity for you to hear the great saving grace of God in Christ. That's what he's talking about here. It would have been another occasion for that. Verse 16, I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Verse 17, was I vacillating? Ah, probably using the accusation from the false teachers, from the false apostles. Was I vacillating? Was I going back and forth, uh, undecisive, trying to deceive and manipulate people for my own gain? Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, some ungodly kind of way, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Reading into it a little bit, as commentators do, trying to figure out what was going on, it's probably accused of vacillating, changing his plans, and, and maybe it was something like this from the super faker apostles. Oh, changing our plans, are we? Maybe something like he he, he must not be in touch with the spirit. He must not be plugged into the spirit. Uh, like we are, because we don't have to make, we don't have to change plans, right? Because we're so in tune with God, we've got the Spirit of God, and we have all of this. Maybe new revelation. If we make plans, we keep our word. I wouldn't die for explaining it that way, but probably something like that. And it is like false teachers to not know what the gospel is, but they know everything else. They can tell you who to marry. They can tell you how much money God wants you to send right now. They know all of this stuff. They know how to heal you through the television. They know everything about everything, but they don't know what the gospel is. And these guys don't know what the gospel is, but they seem to know everything about everything, so they're attacking Paul because he changed plans. But now Paul's going to make it clear, one thing I didn't do or never will do, none of us did, we didn't change the gospel like those clowns. Notice I pointed over there. I didn't say clown. Typical false teachers. Verse 18, As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. Our communication to you, gospel proclamation to you, has not been yes and no. That's a ridiculous accusation. It's so ridiculous that we might say it's redonkulous. You spell that with a C or a K. I saw it both ways when I looked it up. This is insane. This is crazy. When it comes to our message that we preached to you about Jesus Christ, it was anything but vacillating. And these clowns are calling me for changing my travel plan so I'm not plugged into God and don't know what I'm doing and I'm not a true apostle. This is ridiculous. Our word to you. Look at verse 19. Our word to you. Here's what our word to you is. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And I want to keep reading, but before we get to the next comma, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. You know who we've been telling you about? The Son of God. Not the pantheon of gods and goddesses. No, the unique one that stands out, and we haven't wavered, yes and no, maybe kind of. The Son of God is who we've been preaching to you, is who we've communicated to you about. And who is that? It's Jesus. That just got complicated. Jesus? Jesus born in Bethlehem? Jesus grew up in Nazareth? Yeah, the, the, the real human. He's the Son of God and He's the real human. And not only is that true, you know what we've been preaching to you all along, not vacillating? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is the long-awaited, long-ago-promised, even for purpose, before the foundation of the world in light of Ephesians 1, Messiah. He's the one, Messiah, Christ, same word. He's the one who would, who would deliver his people. He is the one who would provide for his people. He is the one who would rule and reign ultimately forever. He's the ultimate end game. You know, we've been playing on our guitar. It's been one string. It's been Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the long-awaited, expected deliverer, provider, Savior, Christ what's for lunch i mean it's just i mean it's strong what he's giving them we're not the vacillate schmasile it's been the same thing all along if you're bored with it that that that's your problem jesus messiah the expected deliverer savior he goes on to say let's follow the comma now whom we proclaimed among you so Back in 18, our word to you has not been yes. Here's what our word to you has been. It's been Jesus Christ, Son of God, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I. I like that unanimity to drop a big word right unanimously what had? What did we do what have we done you can lock us in three separate rooms you can turn up the heat you can make us go without food and water you can put the bright lights in our eyes you can interrogate us all day long for who knows how long and guess what we're going to say each of us independently we're not going to say vacillation yes and no we have the, con- the things confused we're so clear on this we're going to give you this truth about Jesus Christ your only hope of righteousness it's deluxe what he's doing our defense will stand our integrity stands my integrity stands Wasn't, uh, uh, w- and it was not yes and no but in him, in Christ it is always yes and that right there is why you came, I think In Him, it is always yes. That is just such a great declaration. There is no greater declaration until we get to the next one. In Him, it is always yes. Next verse is worth underlining and starring and owning and coming here today. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Therefore, negatively, conversely, if you're looking somewhere else for reconciliation, atonement, righteousness, you've been greatly misled. Because all of God's promises find their yes in Him. He's sufficient. He's supreme. He's adequate. It's all been geared toward moving toward Him. This is why we talk about all the types and all the shadows and all of those things we learn about in the Old Testament. It was always looking forward to the one who always finds yes. It's Him. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. Centrality, certainty, sufficiency. It's really fantastic. Why in the world would we preach something other than Jesus if all the promises find their yes in Him? Ultimately for for their salvation, but also for their spiritual growth. I would want you to say to me, Pastor, all of the promises of God find their yes in Him, why don't you talk about Jesus? Why do you seem to talk about Him so infrequently? Why isn't He the hero of every sermon? If He's where I have to find my righteousness and my ultimate hope, would you you tell me about Him? I don't want to stake my salvation on this or go out on a major limb, but one one Bible teacher I appreciate and admire uh, greatly suggests that we should not only see the positive promises of Jesus here, of God, we should see also the negative promises of God in condemnation and judgment. And I thought that was fascinating. I don't know if that's what Paul has in mind here. It would be true, though. Think, for example, the Bible has a promise that we don't like very much in the Old Testament and New Testament. If you sin, you will die, okay? That probably isn't in that promises book that you go find it parables to warm your heart, okay? But it is a promise. If you sin, you die. New Testament, the wages of sin is death. That's a promise. It's true. How could that be true in Christ well it could be true in Christ if he himself gives himself up for us and lays down his life so that we wouldn't have to face condemnation so in that sense all of the promises of God even the ones for condemnation find their yes in him so that we don't have to be condemned and whether or not that's what Paul means here it is biblically true and theologically true no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson said that, by the way, and he has a great Scottish accent, so I believed him. <laughs> That's my rule number one. Anyone who has a cool accent, don't believe anything they say about the Bible, because you're apt to believe anything they say. <laughs> At my brother's ordination, somebody asked him if there's anything he could have to help enhance his ministry, what would it be? And he said a Scottish accent. (laughs) So, I digress. But I, I, I think we came here today for verse 20. He's defending his own integrity for gospel ministry, and he turns it into an opportunity to say, Listen, Christ is where it's at. You can dog me for this all day long. But given the fact that in Him we have God's yes, I'll just keep doing it. Then it says in verse 20, if you go on there, uh, as we wrap this up, that is why it is through Him that we, true believers, true apostles, true Bible teachers, that is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Don't, don't quite be done yet. Let's think about what he's getting at here and what he might be wanting to stress. Amen, we typically think, happens when? At the end. Doesn't necessarily always have to be that way, but that's how we typically think of amen happening at the end. It means we agree, so let it be. I concur. Yes, this is how it is. I think he does mean for it to be at the end. That is why it is through Jesus that we, the true apostles, utter our amen to God for his glory. If yes and amen of all the promises of God are found in him, we say amen. We say amen to God. We we, we agree. We don't, therefore, need to keep going and we don't need more. Because that's the end. He's the amen. To the glory of God. So, super duper apostles. God's given us a word of knowledge. God's given us new revelation. We're plowing our own path. Look at us. We're something special. We have a direct line to God. Blah, 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 blah. If yes is in Jesus, ultimately, of all the promises, true believers, true apostles, true true Christians and preachers say, to God, amen. And we zip it. So let it be. To the glory of God. And isn't it interesting where false teachers... Who have new, shiny, God gave me this. I have special knowledge. You need my special knowledge. You can't know things unless you know my things. Blah, 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 blah. And they might talk about God's glory, but it sure looks a lot like they're the ones being glorified. Because you've got to keep going to them. You've got to keep going to them. You've got to keep going to them. Here, if yes is in Jesus, we say amen. And then we shut our mouths. And God gets the glory for His great, magnificent, amazing Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Conclusion. He's the conclusion. He's the end. We don't need Jesus but. We don't need Jesus and. Verse 21 says, And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. Our credibility with you comes from God. We don't need the the affirmation of those apostles. It comes from God. And has anointed us. The verbiage here is rather interesting. And has anointed us. So draw a connection in verse 21 at the beginning. Uh, Establishes us with you in Christ. That's our credibility. And then, and has anointed us. He uses uh, essentially the same word for Christ. And has Christed us. Or Christed us. So he's the anointed one. And because he's the anointed one, we have our anointing from God. So in the original language, he wants us to pick up on the, the verb or excuse me, the word connection. So you could read it this way: And it is God who establishes us with you in the anointed one, Christ, and has anointed us, or has christed us. more than likely the false teachers, we have the special blessing, anointing. Anointing with oil, anointing with the Spirit. We're, we're anointed. We've got the special anointing, the special blessing. And the Apostle Paul will have none of it. Our anointing comes from being united to Christ. The anointed one. Don't be ridiculous. Anointed by God. If you're, I want to be anointed by God. Let's just pretend like we're charismatic for a minute. I want the special anointing right? The super duper unique special anointing power. So I can do stuff and say things. Right? I want the anointing. If you see Jesus as the yes of all of God's promises and you say amen to that, I think you have the super duper not special all Christians have it anointing because you're united to the anointed one. Don't look for treasure in a trash trove. Look to Christ where the treasure is. And verse 22 says, And who has also put His seal, legitimacy, seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Those are our credentials. That's where our authenticity comes from. But I call to God to witness against me it was to spare you that I refrain from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, because it's faith in Christ, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith, your faith in Christ. That, that, that is important as well. We'll probably just talk more about it next time. But that, that last part, I want to come. But not because you need a guru, not because you need a mediator, I want to come to increase your joy, but I'm not going to come to lord it over you like the bozo apostles, super apostles, who want to control your life and lord it over you. I want to come to increase your joy by pointing you to Christ. So I'm different than they are. So My conclusion is after four points, not after two points, now what should I say? Remember, 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 all of the promises of God are yes in Christ. Therefore say amen and give God the glory, live a sane life so you don't have to be enslaved to these people who want to lord it over you with every new wind of who knows what. With that, let's pray and be dismissed. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is better than I could even possibly ever explain. But may we look to him, not to ourselves, as we struggle with guilt, as we struggle with difficulties in life, as we struggle with all sorts of complexities. Help us to not look inward. Help us to not look to others but help us to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who conquered sin, who conquered the grave and is resurrected and he's been resurrected for all who would trust in him. He's our great hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great Mother's Day.